is New Albion calling. New Albion calling. Good evening. My name is Theodore Pilkington Rhubarb, and you are listening to the ARC Light Programme. Oh, well now, after the extremely unfortunate incident last time, it seems that the powers that be have determined that no further listeners' telephone-in quizzes should be embarked upon until a strict code of listener conduct has been drawn up and all potential takers' part are forced to sign it before appearing. Now, how in the law's name that's going to work, I have literally not the faintest idea. Um, But the net result is that telephoning in is off the table for now. Fortunately, we have retained slumber time stories, well, at least for the time being. Um, But how to otherwise fill up the beckoning void of deathly radio silence, I have not one clue. Any ideas, Mabel? Mabel? Ah, ah, Theodore, there you are. Get your coat. I've come to take you home. What? Uh, Mumsy, what on earth are you doing here? I'm in the middle of a show. Don't make me repeat myself, dear. After last week's little performance, I think it's time you gave up this radio hoo-ha and had a go at something else. What are you going on about? I'm a fully grown man and I'm still under contract here. And I'm literally on air right now. I very much doubt anyone is listening to your nonsense now, dear. Well, thank you for that vote of confidence. But I still have to conclude the current slumber time story. And there's been at least a small amount of talk about a third series of programmes. Well, that would be terrible. I've been thinking that perhaps it's time to try for the priesthood again. I've had a word with Father Grumble Sausages on your behalf, and he's jumping at the bit to get his teeth into you. Have you been on the Netherlands gin again, Mumsy? Mabel! Mabel, can you escort my mother out so I might continue with what is rapidly becoming the most unprofessional show I have ever been involved in? And that's saying something. Oh, heavens to Betsy. Whatever now? Mabel, I thought you'd had that thing disconnected. Well, are you going to answer it or not? Fine. Ahoy, hoy. This is Theodore speaking. Good day to you, random and extremely unexpected caller. What do you want? I'm rather busy. Who is it? Operator! Operator! What's going on? Papa? Is that you again? Twice in one year? Really, it's too much. Ah, Theodore! This is your British father, Chutney Rhubarb Jr., calling you on an Indian telephone from the Indian East Indies in East India. Is that your father? Uh, Yes, it seems it is. Calling from Indian East Indies, etc., bloody etc. On an Indian telephone. What else? Language, Theodore. Ask him if he's deigning to grant us the pleasure of his company for Christmas this year. I really don't have the time for this. Theodore, this is your British father. I am ringing you from the Indian East Indies on an Indian telephone to ask you where your British mother is. I've just tried your British house, and she's not there. Oh, for crying out loud. Can't you all just leave me be? Well, are you going to ask him or not? Who's that distinctively British and, rather foxy, female voice I can hear in the background? Is that your British mother? 
Put her on. No. Papa, I'm literally in the middle of a radio broadcast. Can't this wait until later? No, I don't hate her. I need you to ask your British mother when your British brother is coming out to the East Indian East Indies so that I can have a new wing built on the Indian house in time. What's he going on about? He wants to know where my... Wait a minute. Did you say brother? What brother? I didn't even have a brother. Mumsy, Papa, what on earth is going on? Well, we've been meaning to tell you. What? There was never a good British time. Well, you could stick your British time up your British posterior. Did it not occur to either of you to mention that I had a sibling? Who is it? Mother? Well, you know that chap, Clive. What, the one that lives in the attic and smells of cabbage? Yes, that sounds like him. Well, that's your brother. Uh, at least I think it is. Jives is his name. Or something like that. Why on earth didn't you tell me before? I, I assumed he was a cook or something. Look, uh, don't say anything to him, will you, dear? Uh, we've not told him about you yet. And that's going to come as a massive disappointment to him. Oh, for crying out loud. You're barmy, the lot of you. Are you joining the British Army? Barmy! Barmy! Barking mad! Bonkers as a box of baboons! Right, that's it. Out! Out with you! Don't be like that, dear. Is there an escaped Burkino Faso baboon with you? Certainly sounds like it. No, it's just my utterly ridiculous family. Goodbye, Papa. Perhaps I'll see you for Christmas this year. Or maybe I'll be washing my baboon. As for you, Mother, please leave now. Let me get on with my broadcast. Come on, out, out with you. No, I've not even told you what's for supper yet. Faggots. How did you know? Lucky guess. Mabel, bolt the bloody door. Language. British arse blankets. And now on the light programme, it's time for Slumbertime Stories. And this week we conclude the epic drama from Tales of New Albion, Volume 2. Part 3 of Ear Moo Bee by Darren Callow. In her natural element at last, Mrs Tickle jumped out of Ellen's trembling arms. Relieved of this weight, Ellen brought up her pistol and looked around, trying to comprehend what had just happened and where they now were. Just ahead of her, Cleanta was doing the same, with slightly more military precision. They were standing on a similar pearlescent disc to the one they had just left behind on Earth. Arcane and complex equipment surrounded them, 
but beyond that was grey dust and craters. Ellen felt light, both in body and in head, as though she was in a strange but not unpleasant dream. Her body was beginning to warm up again as the heating elements in her spacesuit began to glow. Her earpiece crackled, and Cleanta's voice, edged with nervousness, rang through. Rockets ahead of us. Bunkers are way off to the right. Ellen followed where she was indicating with her pistol. The rockets she could see, although they were an awful long way off. The bunkers she couldn't spot, but a moving figure caused her to jump. Cleanta was all she could find to say, her throat still raspingly dry. Already seen them, came Cleanta's sharp retort, as she crouched and brought her gun to bear, not even really knowing if it would work in the vacuum of the moon. The figure continued to advance towards them, two others now visible behind. Somewhat to their relief, they were clearly humanoid in shape, with two legs and arms in beyond ancient-looking spacesuits. The first figure held up an arm in what it clearly presumed was a symbol of peace, although the other arm held a rather nasty-looking harpoon gun. Clienta kept her pistol pointed in the figure's direction, whilst indicating with her other arm that they should hold still. They were both relieved that the figure appeared to comply. Ellen continued to stare, praying that the figure was not a foe, and as she did so, a cat, she assumed to be Mrs Tickle, came past her right leg and also took up a watchful position. When another cat, in a much older-looking spacesuit, also did the same on her left, and then a third appeared behind Cleanta, Ellen gave a little squeal. Um, rather more cats than we started out with. She squealed through the intercom. Before Clienta could reply, another male voice came through her earpiece. Stay still, please. The cats are just checking if you are human. Ellen ignored the voice and spun around to see an elderly figure in the oldest-looking spacesuit she had seen yet, right behind her, with at least four more cats in suits all around them. Oh, and I'm Trout, by the way. Uh, should have said that sooner, probably. Erasmus Trout, Private First Class, Albion Expeditionary Force, open parentheses, extraterrestrial, close parentheses. He nodded as the cats all seemed satisfied with their examinations. Thank you for coming and uh, bringing Mrs Tickle back safely. The man came up alongside them, and it seemed pretty clear they were on the same side, Mrs Tickle being the intermediary, and the fact that their spacesuits worked on the same radio frequency. Cleanta nodded in response, and despite herself, Ellen managed to extend a hand in greeting, although at this moment, all she was thinking of was getting this suit off and having a nice hot bath. Glad you managed to get the ear moo bee working, I should add, continued the man. Are there any others here? Nope, no siree, just the two of us, though a tickle, of course. Of course, growled Trout, as the other man, presumably his comrade, joined them, lowering his weapon as he arrived. Just two, you say? Oh, well, it's a start, I suppose. Yes, sorry about that. Sort of bother back on the, um, earth, you know. More should follow, um, hopefully. Well, 
You'll do for starters, added Trout, realising he had probably not seemed grateful enough. Before he could add anything to seem more thankful, however, a cry went up over the airwaves. Tripod! And all eyes turned to see the three-legged craft picking its way around a distant crater. At this point, the elderly Albion troopers and space cats moved with steady but resolute purpose. More suited figures appeared, and a great canvas screen was hauled up around the ear moo, and all were ushered towards a previously hidden steel hatchway nearby. Get underground, came the instruction with which they all complied, moving in the lopping run required by the moon's gravity to the safety of the bunker. The cats nipping in just at the last minute before the airlock was sealed. Once all were secured in the airlock, with observers appointed to look for more ear-moo arrivals, Trout removed his helmet and then helped Ellen and Cleanta with theirs. His visage was that of an elderly statesman, close-cropped hair and slim but jowly jaw. After securing the helmets, he reached for a pair of spectacles and put them on. Then he led them further into the secret complex to an area that they could sit and take stock. All around them, a multitude of cats looked on with as much interest, if not more, than the geriatric Albion soldiers. Further introductions were in order as Trout gave instructions for water and food to be brought. This is a chatty Shattenborough. Uh, he doesn't say much explained Trout, indicating the man on his left. And uh, this is Flashman. A nod to the darker-skinned gentleman to his right. We've sent for Corporal Longstocking. Uh, Sergeant Rogers is really in charge, but he's um, somewhat indisposed right now. Ellen nodded to each in turn. I'm Ellen, and this is Cleanta. Sorry it's taken so long to get to you. Uh, do you have a plan for defeating the Martians? She asked more in hope than certainty. Well, I suppose we were rather hoping you ought to have one, responded Flashman, suppressing a note of dismay in his voice, although not really enough to go unnoticed. Um, yes, well, sorry about that too, muttered Ellen, feeling her face redden a little. I guess we thought you might remember how it was done last time around, since you were, you know, involved and all. She tried to sound as non-judgmental as she could. However, it was Trout's turn to sound embarrassed. Well, quite. Trouble is, we don't seem to be able to remember. We are getting on a bit, it's true. But the memories of how it was done seem to have escaped us, one and all. At this point, a rotund figure hobbled into the room, bearing glasses of clear liquid, which were accepted with relish by Ellen and Cleanta. This gave a few moments for thought, and in that time, Ellen remembered Fitch's book. Ah, perhaps this might jog your memory, she offered, pulling the battered picture book from her spacesuit. It's just a children's book, but it seems to document everything that's known from the first Great Martian War. She laid it out on the table, and the three senior servicemen gathered round, fumbling in pockets for reading glasses. Once these had been located, they looked on with interest as Ellen turned the pages. Here you are, she announced as they reached the pages set on the moon, 
and as Mrs. Tickle, sans spacesuit, jumped up to join them at the table, she added, And your lovely cats, of course. The men and cat purred with recognition, feeling some memories of that distant time being nurtured in their brain. And, and here is the page that the Martians appear to be defeated. There's these gas canisters that supposedly send the foe to sleep. But what's actually in them, I have no idea. Trout leaned forward to look, and one of the cats, as yet introduced, poured keenly at his arm. Uh, what's that, Marvin? Oh, yes, well, I'll certainly tell her, he responded, to the cat's insistent signal. Tell her what? inquired Cleanta, also leaning in curiously. Well, we've got loads of those canisters in our storage. We wonder what they might be for. Oh, my goodness. Really? exclaimed Ellen. Yeah, yes, uh, odd thing, really. Any time we sent anyone to look into what they might be, the chap wouldn't be seen for days. When we finally found them, they'd have no memory of even going to look at them. Oh, most peculiar. Ellen jumped up from the table at this revelation and snapped her fingers. By Jove, I think that's it. We've nothing to lose. Let's get a few canisters and try it on our Martian chums. Only, let's make sure we have our spacesuits on when we do it. There were no dissenting voices. Despite their age, the venerable soldiers of the Albion Expeditionary Force, extraterrestrial, knew how to organise a military operation. Taking extra precautions to make sure no humans or cats came in direct contact with the sickly brown gas, the canisters were retrieved from dusty storage and released wherever the Martians could be found in enclosed spaces. The results were satisfying and exhilarating in equal measures as the three-eyed foes were found to be induced into a deep, comatose state by the emanation, from which they showed no signs of recovery. Emboldened by this discovery, under the cover of the lunar night, a small group of commandos, led by Cleanta and Trout, with Ellen in close attendance, sneaked their way into the first of the Martians' three colossal interplanetary rockets and released two full canisters. Heartened by the sleeping aliens, but always nagged by the anxious thought that no one else had yet followed them up via the Iamu, Ellen and Cleanta vowed to continue to the other rockets without rest and finish the main mission, before finding some way to return to Earth and explain the newly realised solution to their fellow Albiniers. Things went well on the second rocket, but by the third, the Martians had become aware of their presence and a fierce firefight broke out. The space commandos fought valiantly, given their age, and the final canisters were released without any human casualties. However, as she observed the final Martians fall into a deep slumber, Ellen watched in horror through the thick brown gas as Cleanta took a wild shot to her arm and fell clutching a rent in her spacesuit. Without really thinking of her own safety, she rushed to her side, absent-mindedly taking off her helmet as she did so. Cleanta, are you okay? She inquired, urgently putting pressure on her arm, although she was relieved to see that no blood was leaking into the heavy cotton and leather sleeve. I'm okay, just in nick. Gosh, I'm so very tired, responded Cleanta, seemingly a little disorientated. 
Help me take this helmet off. Ella moved to obey her as the gas continued to clear. Where, where are we? I'm not really sure, stated Ellen, looking around blankly at the corridor, which seemed empty of any other souls. In the pirate base, I guess, muttered Cleanta, who seemed to be drifting off to sleep. I'm just so exhausted. I know what you mean, agreed Ellen, feeling the exertions of the last few days suddenly catching up with her. I guess they won't mind if we take a nap. I'm sure they'll come and get us if they get the ear moo working. What's an ear moo? mumbled Cleanta, before her eyes drifted shut and she fell asleep. All around them there was a dull rumble, which seemed oddly comforting. Oh, I'll tell you later, soothed Ellen, settling herself down. I certainly know what you mean about being tired. Oh, let's grab forty winks, and then we can catch up properly. It's just so good to see you again, and... She never completed her sentence, as with that they both drifted into an uneasy but long overdue sleep. Little were they to know that, as he succumbed to the brown gas and drifted into a coma, a junior Martian pilot had fallen onto the emergency recall button. This was a failsafe mechanism designed to launch the rocket back into the void and return the incumbents to whence they had come, in case of dire emergency. It probably should have had its cover closed, but you know how pilots get when they have little to do. And so, blissfully unaware of anything that had happened in the last day, Ellen and Cleanta fell asleep in each other's arms, on an alien rocket, leaving the relative confines of the moon and taking them and their sleeping Martian companions to the distant red planet, known to all in New Albion as Mars. Well now, at least something has ended in a moderately satisfactory way. Still, sounds like the author may have left that one rather open to a sequel. Ugh, honestly, can no one actually bring things to an end satisfactorily these days? And talking of unsatisfactory ends, it seems that's all we have time for today. And indeed, in this series of programmes. Will we find the energy for more? Part of me hopes not. Still, you never know. And on that note, good night, New Albion. I wish you dreams of a bright future. All characters created by and copyright to Darren Callum. All the music was composed and played by Charlotte Savigar. For more information about Tales of New Albion, please go to www.talesofnewalbion.com or search for Tales of New Albion on Facebook. Tales of New Albion is a Monkey Teaspoon production for Albion Radiophonic Corporation.
All characters created by and copyright to Darren Callow. All the music was composed and played by Charlotte Savigar. For more information about Tales of New Albion, please go to www.talesofnewalbion.com or search for Tales of New Albion on Facebook. Tales of New Albion is a Monkey Teaspoon production for Albion Radiophonic 